I want to, I want to speak from a, from a message entitled, the, the God of Jesus. The, the God of Jesus. Can you turn to the person next to you and, and say, the God of Jesus. Turn to, the, turn to the other person and say, you look good today. You look good today. You really do. Uh, how, how, many of you, how many of you have younger siblings? Can I see your hand? A little participation today. You have younger siblings. That's, that's the majority of you. Uh, I'm one of six kids, and um, I'm the second eldest in my, in my family. And so you can kind of do the math. I have four younger siblings. In, in fact, uh, three of them are brothers and then one younger sister. And some of you know my sister named Samantha. She works back in, in Ethos Kids. She serves back in, she's one of our servant leaders in, in, in our kids' ministry. And, and she's fantastic. She moved here uh, from our hometown in, in Pennsylvania to help, to help build and, and be a part of, of what God is doing here in this community at, at Ethos. And, 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 and like any older brother, like any older brother, uh, we would play a lot of tricks on my little sister. Now, I'm 13 years older than her, but she's got three older brothers, and so we kind of all gang up on her, and so she had to learn at a young age how to fend for herself. In fact, I remember at one point, one point when she was probably four or five years old, we were in the airport. In fact, this was, this was winter of 2002. So remember, we're about four or five months removed from, from 9-11, and so security was at like an all-time high, and so you had to get to the airport really early, and you had to wait in some really long lines until you could finally arrive at your, at your gate. And so we're in this really long line. We're there about two and a half hours early, and the line is not moving. And like any four or five-year-old, they begin to ask the same question over and over and over again. My son just turned five yesterday. I know exactly what this is about. Like I tell my son, you want to go for a bike ride in like five minutes? And one time every 10 seconds, he says, when are we going for a bike ride? When are we going for a bike ride? Like he just keeps asking me. I'm like, I, I said five minutes. Like I already gave you the answer. And so my, my sister, Samantha, she's like, why is the line not moving? 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 And we're like, Sammy, we don't know. We don't work here. We don't, we, you know, we, we, we've never experienced the post 9-11 airport traffic and, and, and delays, and we don't know. And so, so eventually I said, to, I said to Samantha, we, we call her Sammy for short. I said to Sammy, I said, you know what? I don't know if anybody's taught you this or not, but because you're still a kid, you're actually able to pluck your eyeball out. You can throw it in the air, and then you're able to see far ahead as to why the line isn't moving. In fact, you can even just roll your eye on the ground, and you can get real close up and figure out why the line isn't, isn't moving. And she's looking at me like, really? And I look at my other brother, Mitch, who's three years younger than me, and I said, Mitch, isn't that right? Tell Samantha, right? And, and, and Mitch, like, he just always agreed with me, otherwise I'd beat him up. And so I, 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 I like, Mitch, isn't that right? And he'd be like, yep, that's right. That's right. And then we look at Austin, who, again, is an older brother of hers who's about, about a few years younger than, than me, me as well. I said, Austin, isn't that right? And Austin's like, yep, that's, that's correct. And at which point she's really, she's kind of, her, her brain's like turning, like, I can pull my eye out, throw it in the air, and I, I could see really far. And we're like, yeah, this is a superpower that only kids possess. And, and so at a certain point, though, she looks at her mom and she says, Mom, is that true? What? what? What Jordan just said, I can throw my eye up in the air, I can pluck it out, I can see really far? No. No. And she, she, said, she said to Samantha, she said, she said, you need to learn to not be so gullible. Right? Like, like if you've got older, sister, older siblings, you, you know, like, like, we, we kind of play some tricks on our younger siblings. But the tr truth be told is we all probably know somebody who's, who's extremely gullible. Maybe, maybe it's you. 
But, but we, we all know somebody, have a friend, or are ourselves extremely, extremely, extremely gullible. In fact, in fact, one of the things that I've discovered, even in my own life, in regards to my Christian faith and my belief system, that sometimes I can be really, really gullible. Sometimes I can just believe things just for the sake of, of believing things. But did you know that Christianity was never intended for you just to have faith in faith? Christianity was never intended for you just to be gullible, just to kind of believe it for the sake of believing it. In fact, I would always encourage every single person in our church to never just believe something because I say it or because somebody on this platform says it, but that we would investigate, that we would have a faith where we dig into the scriptures for ourselves, we dig into the historical context of where the scriptures were written, why they were written, and we begin to discover for ourselves our own personal relationship with God. I believe that church and what the pastor's role is is to equip our people to know God best and to study God's word for themselves and to grow personally closer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we're not intended to simply just believe for the sake of believing. In fact, look at what Luke says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Now Luke is a physician, highly detailed. In fact, if you're an analytical person, if you kind of really enjoy like the nerdy stuff, like Luke would be, his book would be a great place for you to begin and for you to begin to understand who is Jesus really and who is God really. Beginning in the book of Luke. Look at what Luke says in Luke 1, verse 1, the very beginning of his, of his book. He says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Luke says, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. I love what Luke says there, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. We ought to be people as followers of Jesus who are certain of the truth. That's the whole purpose for this whole, for this whole collection of talks that we're, that we're doing. We, we want to be certain what difference does God really make? In fact, atheist Sam Harris, he, he said this. He said this about, about Christians. He said, tell a devout Christian that his wife is cheating on him or that frozen yogurt can make a man invisible and he is likely to require as much evidence as anyone else. Tell him that the book he keeps by his bed was written by an invisible deity who will punish him with fire for eternity if he fails to accept its every incredible claim about the universe and he seems to require no evidence whatsoever. Now, I think that Sam Harris is oversimplifying the Christian faith and very much stereotyping Christians as a whole, but I also think there's probably some truth there. And I think some of, some of, our, some of our challenge began when we were in Sunday school. In fact, for those of you who grew up in church, I, I want, help, help me out here. Finish this statement for me. Finish this statement. Okay, we're going to say this loud and proud together. Ready? 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 Jesus loves me. This I know. Sometimes I wonder, I wonder, just, just hang with me, okay? It's going to sound a bit heretical for a moment, but we're going to pull it all together. Sometimes I wonder if that's not where our problem began. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I love the Bible. I'm a Bible nerd. Like, I, I love reading the Bible. I love studying the Bible. I love reading books that study the Bible. I love reading books that read and talk about and digest and dissect the Bible. But sometimes I wonder if, if our belief is simply in just the, the Bible. Here, here, let, me, let me unpack it like this. I think somewhere along the line, we've gotten the idea that the Bible is Christianity. And as the Bible goes, 
so goes Christianity. But, 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 but here's some really good news for you. Here's some really great news for us in 2019. This is great news. I'm going I'm I'm to unpack as to why. But Christianity does not hang by the thread of the Bible. Christianity preceded the Bible. The reason why we have the Bible is because of something that happened. Christianity didn't come after the Bible was written. Christianity started before the Bible. In fact, it started about 300 years before we even recognized and referred to a collection of books as as the Bible. So when Jesus was walking around on earth, as he's walking around on earth, he did some of the strangest things. In fact, he said some of the strangest things. And oftentimes it got him into trouble over and over and over again. Listen to this. Jesus was walking around. He appears to just be a normal human being. Like if Jesus showed up, you're drinking coffee at your local Roosevelt's, and here you are, and you're just sipping on your latte, and Jesus walks in, you wouldn't even know it. You wouldn't all of a sudden have goosebumps. You wouldn't all of a sudden kind of just fall over. Like you, you wouldn't even know it. He just, here Jesus is, he's walking around, and he says this to a bunch of Jewish people, to a bunch, to a bun, to a bunch of people who were already religious by nature, who kind of understood the Jewish scripture, and he would tell them, did you know that the scripture that we read, our scripture, it's all about me? Did you know that? To which these people said, that's blasphemy. Just put ourselves in these shoes 2,000 years ago. They're hearing Jesus say this. And he says, yeah, the whole thing, I'm fulfilling all of our Jew, the Jewish scripture, the Jewish law that we grew up learning about, I'm the fulfillment of the whole thing. They're like, what? But, but actually, there was, a, there was a pretty large contingent of people who started to believe that Jesus really is the fulfillment of all of these Jewish scriptures. In fact, in the first century, Jesus got some really, really close followers because they began to recognize, like, hold up a second. Our Jewish scripture says this. Jesus did that. Maybe there's something to this guy. Maybe, th- maybe, this really is, maybe this really is the Messiah, the fulfillment of our Jewish scripture. And then all of a sudden, hear me, hear me. Again, imagine yourself 2,000 years ago. All of a sudden, Jesus is then crucified. He dies. Game over. Lights out. All these people who were following him, he obviously was wrong, and we were obviously wrong about who he said that he was as well. And when Jesus was crucified, there were no Jesus followers. When Jesus was crucified, no one on the planet believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish scripture. And, and, and here's, here's where it began, though. Then Jesus rose back from the dead, and the whole thing begins to get started because suddenly all these Jewish followers are like, hold up a second. You, you really are that guy. Like, you, you, you really are the fulfillment of everything that you said that you are. We didn't really believe you when you said it. We kind of did. We kind of didn't. Then you died. We definitely didn't believe it. Now you're back. Now we definitely believe again. And this is where, this is really, where it really got started because then the Gentiles, who are anybody just kind of, Gentiles are, are categorically anybody who is non-Jewish. The Jewish people refer to these, to, the, to, these, to these people. Anybody who wasn't a part of their Jewish community were just referred to as Gentiles. Gentiles, all of a sudden, they become really interested in the Jewish scriptures. And they start to become Jesus' followers. But not because they want to become Jewish, but because of something entirely different. In fact, as they become exposed more and more, and they have more and more access to the Jewish scriptures, they become more and more interested and realize that Jesus, he's right. What he said is exactly what happened. 
And they began to realize that the entire, what we call Old Testament, but they wouldn't refer to it as that. It would just be the Jewish scriptures. What we call Old Testament, they, they began to realize that the entire Old Testament, it all pointed to Jesus. Now, I want to give you a quick homework assignment. We don't have time to go through this today. So for the sake of time, I want to ask you, as a studious church, as a church that, that leans in and really wants, to, really wants to know, like, what difference does God make? I want to ask that you read Isaiah chapter 53. At some point today, some point tomorrow, some point this week, that you would just sit down for just a moment, go to the Old Testament, somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament, the older portion of our Bible, that you would read Isaiah chapter 53. And I want you to ask yourself the question, who is this referring to? When you read Isaiah 53, which was written in the year 700, somewhere around the year 700 BC. So 700 years before Jesus shows up. I want you to ask, who is this referring to? I'll tell you who it's referring to, but I want you to discover it for yourself, though, too. It's referring to, to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 that whole thing, that, that book, that chapter, as well as so many other, it's all talking about me. But nobody believed him until after the resurrection. I was reading this story uh, just, just the other day, uh, or actually, rather, the, the other week, and it was about this, this Christian friend and this and, and, and his Jewish friend. In fact, they were, they were college roommates, and they were, they were like best friends. And, and every single week, his Christian friend would, would go to church. And every single week, he would invite his Jewish friend to come to church with him. The Jewish friend would just keep turning him down, continuing to tell him, no, I don't want to go to church. Finally, he said, look, man, I don't, I don't even go to my own synagogue. I don't even go hear my own rabbi. Why would I come to your church and hear your pastor? So finally, the Christian friend said, fine, okay, I'll stop asking you if you simply agree to read something that I give you. Will you agree to read something I give you? It's a true story. The, the Jewish friend says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll read something. If you give it to me and you stop asking me, I'll, I'll read whatever you give me. He comes the next day. Christian friend hands his Jewish friend a piece of paper. His friend opens it up and he says, what's this? He says, it's what I want you to read. The Jewish friend says, it's, it's written by you. He said, I, I know. I have written out word for word verbatim. I've written out Isaiah 53 and I want you to read it. His Jewish friend starts to read it. He goes back to his dorm, and, and after, having, after having read it, he, he thinks, there's no way this is in my Jewish scripture. There's, there's no way that in your Old Testament and in my Jewish scripture, these are the exact same. So between semesters, he goes home. He finds his family's Jewish Bible. He pulls it out, and lo and behold, Isaiah 53, it's the exact it's the exact same thing. His Jewish friend is so confused. It says that he, he, goes, to his, he goes to his rabbi, the rabbi that his, that, that his family grew up, grew up listening to, and, and he has this conversation with his rabbi. Here, here's what he says. He says, Rabbi, this friend of mine's a Christian, and he told me to read Isaiah 53. And he says to his rabbi, who is this referring to? And his rabbi kind of chuckles, and he says, well, <laughs> sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? He said, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. That's what's bothering me. And he says, he says that his rabbi re replies, says, well, it does sound a lot like Jesus, but, you know, we're Jewish. We don't follow Jesus. The Jewish college student gets back in his car. He drives away, and he begins thinking to himself, that's not an answer. That's just an observation. Here, here, here's the point of all of this. Around 600 to 700 years before, before Jesus really shows up, before Christianity becomes, becomes legal. When you, when you read Isaiah 53, and, and, and the Gentiles, they became enamored with, with Isaiah 53 and all of the Jewish scripture, and they, they begin to realize, hold up, that's Jesus. That's him. 
We've seen this man. We've walked with this man. We've followed this man. We saw him rise from the dead. We actually ate breakfast with him on the beach. And so they began to do something that was extremely offensive to the Jewish people of that day. They started to put the two books together. What they started, they took the Jewish scripture and then they took the New Testament uh, writers and all of their writings. They took all of the all of the epistles, all of the letters that the New Testament writers were writing, and they began to put them together. They put the Jewish scripture together, kind of, kind of the bottom half, the New Testament, the, the writings of the, of, the, of the Gentile leaders and some of the Jewish leaders, they put that on the top, and they began to call it the, the New Testament or the New Covenant. And the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people, they became so offended by this. What are you doing? You, you, can't, you can't put these things together. That's our Jewish scripture. We don't, we, don't, we don't see and believe the same thing you believe. And the Gentiles said, no, 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 we, ha- we have to do this because there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. And again, the Jewish people said, no, no, it's not old. It's not old. This is our Jewish scripture. Said, no, no, it's old because Jesus said, just before he was crucified, Jesus said, today I'm inaugurating, I am beginning a brand new covenant. And so this is now old and now I'm going to give you some, some new. Now hear me out. This is why this is so important. This is why this is so important. I have a five-year-old son, and, and, and I was going to show you a video, but for the sake of time, I have a five-year-old son, and, and, and recently, my wife and I, uh, we, were, we were, I hope this doesn't make us bad parents, but we, 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 we convinced him to take a sip of my wife's coffee, and, and so he, it's like, like a latte or a cold brew or something, I don't remember, but, but there's espresso in it, and we just wanted him to take a little sip and kind of see his reaction, because He's very, like, his facial expressions are very animated, and so we wanted to see his, his cute little face react to it. And this probably does, now that I'm saying it out loud, it definitely makes us a bad parent, but, but I'm like, who does that? And, and so that's the end of the story, but no, I'm just kidding. And so we give him this, we give him this drink, and I was recording it, and, and, he, and he makes this, like, like bitter face, like, mm, mm. and my wife says to him, buddy, is it good? And he's like, mm, no. No. And, and she said, do you want more? And he goes, no, no. But you know what's funny is that, that my, my son is five years old. He's five. Someday he's probably going to like coffee. He's just, he probably is. And can you imagine if when he's 25, he, he comes into church, and I look across the foyer of the building that we will have someday, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I look at him, and I run over to him, and he's about to drink a sip of coffee, and I slap it out of his hands. Son, what are you doing? What, what, Dad, what are you doing? You, you said you don't like coffee. Dad, I was five. That was 20 years ago. I've matured. I've progressed. I've, I've kind of moved forward. Sometimes what happens is the Old Testament really trips people up. really trips people up. And I'm going I'm to share with you why we even believe in the Old Testament here in a moment, but but it trips people up, and, and I just want to make a point that, that if you don't believe anything in the Old Testament, that if you have a friend who walked away from God because of something that they couldn't reconcile that they saw in the Old Testament, if you, if you are tempted to walk away from God because, of, because you don't believe in a little creation, because you don't believe that Moses is part of the seek, because, because you don't believe that some of the stories that, that, we, that we read about, that's fine. Because Christianity was not built upon the Old Testament. Now, just, just hang with me here. Here's what we need to know, because if you're thinking, but Jordan, it's all the Bible, and if we have, you know, if you're in here and, you know, you're, 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 you love the Bible, like I love the Bible, I, I want to share this with you. C.S. Lewis said this. Do we have this quote, DJ? I'm not sure if we have this quote or not. Do we have this? Ah, shoot. C.S. Lewis, Lewis talked about how the Bible is a progressive revelation. 
And oftentimes we throw the entirety of the Bible out because we think, we think if we can't reconcile one part of the Bible, then therefore we have to, we have to throw the, the, the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And you, and you don't. You don't. The Bible actually matures over time. And the revelation that God reveals to humanity is a maturation process as well. And so we need to understand how to not only contextualize historically the Bible in 2019, but we also need to understand that there are some parts of the Bible that have now been fulfilled by Jesus and no longer need to be fulfilled by any Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christian. And I'll get into more, a little bit more of that next week, so just, just hang with me. But sometime around the year of 130 A.D., a guy by the name of, of Melito from Sardis, he was the first person ever, and we, ha we have in his journals historical writings that, that actually go back to 130 A.D. and actually reveal to us that he was the first person that we have on record who took the old, the old original Jewish scriptures that we now call the Old Testament, took the New Testament, put them together, did not refer to them as the Bible. That, that, that name did not come along until about 200 years, 200 years later, but he put these books together, and in one of his journals we have recorded that Melito actually said, I've now traveled all the way to Palestine to find out for myself about the Jewish scriptures because I'm so fascinated by the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that I've read. The point of all of this is this. Hey, you think, Jordan, what, what's the point? I need to lay a foundation here. The point of all this is this. Christianity preceded the Bible. Christianity is why we have the Bible. The Bible did not cause Christianity. So again, if you or someone you know walked away from God, because of something that they've read in the Bible that they couldn't reconcile with their own life experience, because of something they couldn't reconcile with science. I, I, I'm telling you, I, th I think they may have walked, I think you or your friend may have walked away from God unnecessarily. Because Christianity doesn't rise and fall, hang with me, doesn't rise and fall in the Bible. Now, 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 it's important that we understand that this is more and more important today in 2019 than it has ever been before. Because people are smarter and have access to information and bloggers who are sitting in their mom's basement, still in their pajamas, writing things that somehow we believe. But, but regardless, people are smarter and have more access to knowledge than they've ever had before. And they're asking bigger and broader questions. And we've got to understand this. We've got to understand. And we have to help articulate when people have a hard time wrestling, understanding, and, and trying to figure out how do, I, how do I reconcile some of what happened in the Old Testament with what? with what's happening today. How do, I, how do I do that? Here's how we do it. Christianity began when Jesus was resurrected. The reason why Christians take the Old Testament seriously, though, the reason why I take, and I'm gonna put you at ease here for a moment, the reason why I take the Old Testament, Old Testament literally and extremely seriously is because it does point all to Jesus. And it was written well before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. And I just think it'd be nearly impossible for anybody else to fulfill all of which was written. And then there's this one guy who fulfills over 700 prophecies all by himself. The reason why we take it seriously is because it pointed to Jesus. And the reason we take the Old Testament seriously is because Jesus took it seriously. Because oftentimes Jesus quotes the Old Testament himself. And I'm a really simple person. And I'm not that smart. So when somebody predicts their own death, forget that. Anybody can predict their own death. When somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and then pulls it off, yo, whatever you say, dude, I, I believe. You're my guy. And that's what Jesus did. 
And that's why we have the Bible today, because so many people themselves begin to experience that resurrection. So many people themselves begin to experience Jesus. Eyewitnesses begin to see. People begin to dig in and begin to discover exactly what it is that Jesus did and exactly what it is that Jesus fulfilled. And they saw it for themselves. And here's what I want us to understand, that people follow Jesus after the resurrection because of the resurrection. And there's overwhelming evidence of the resurrection. You become a Christian through faith, but, but, but you should never become a Christian because of faith. Other religions demand that you should have faith in faith, but Christianity from day one never requested, required, or suggested that you should simply have blind faith in faith. The New Testament writers, this is how Christianity began. I think this is so cool. This is how the New Testament began. The nerd's coming out of me here, but this is how, this is how the New Testament began. New Testament writers or this is how Christianity began, New Testament writers who saw Jesus live, then saw him die, then saw him raised back from the dead, and were like, uh, yeah, you're for real. How much faith did that require? Very, very little. Almost no faith at all. That's how Christianity started, with people who required very, very, very little faith, which is why Jesus even says, if you have faith even the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. In other words, what Jesus is really referring to is he's saying, if you should have a little bit of faith, a little, you need to bit of faith. Man, you can do so. You don't have to have this great big faith. And Christianity was never intended for us to have this just blind faith in faith. And so we, when, when reconsidering God, or rather even for when, when considering God for the first time, the place to begin is with Jesus. Christianity is, is not nearly as fragile as what we think it to be. In fact, Colton, you can come help me close this out. But, but if Christianity were so fragile, it would have never survived the first and second century. Because there was so much persecution and so if these men and these women, if their faith was fragile at all, if they had not seen and experienced what they had seen and experienced, they could have never, they could have never survived. They would have never been willing to give up their lives the way, that they, the way that they had. So when reconsidering God, we begin, with, we begin with Jesus. And John, the apostle John, who was an eyewitness to Jesus, and who, who, who believed in Jesus, then disbelieved in Jesus. He was one of his closest disciples. And then again saw Jesus after the resurrection. And he believed again. John, he wrote a lot about what Jesus said in regards to God. And here's what I want us to understand. As we begin to kind of transition this series now. As we begin to kind of transition just for the next five minutes. I'm going to close this out. But as we begin to try and transition these talks that we've been in over the, last, over the last month or so. I want us to understand that what Jesus said about himself turned out to be very, very trustworthy. And therefore, what Jesus says about God can be trusted as well. And so we've got the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, who, who, by the way, he was the only one of the original 12 disciples, with the exception of Judas, who wasn't martyred, who wasn't killed as a result of his faith. And the only reason why John wasn't martyred is because, is because he was sent by the Emperor Domitian. He was sent to go live in isolation on the island of Patmos by himself because Domitian recognized every single time that I kill one of these Jesus followers, like a thousand of them rise up in their place. So I'm just gonna exile you to the island of Patmos. And so here John is, he's around 90 years old when he's, when he's banished to this island and, and he's all by himself, and which, which causes me to ask the question to you and to me, 
what do we believe in so strongly that we would be willing to be banished for? And John, he begins to write some of what he saw and heard Jesus say. And in John 14, John records for us his version of, 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 his, of the life of Jesus. And he says in verse 7 that Jesus says, If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We haven't seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That's going to be enough for us. And then Jesus says again, no, no, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing the work. In other words, what difference does God make? Jesus is about to show us here in a moment. Because he's saying, if you, if you want to know what God says, listen to me. If you want to know what God is up to, watch me. And then Jesus concludes his talk. And he says, believe me when I say that I am in my Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence, the evidence, the evidence. If you don't believe what I have to say, at least believe in the evidence of the works, of the works themselves. We got to... Jesus is saying, if you want to know what God is like, you want to know what difference he really makes, listen to me. Watch me. And I think if Jesus were here right now, he would reveal to us three things about God. This is where we begin to kind of transition this, this series now. There's three things we got to know about God that Jesus himself, who we can trust, who, who lived, then died, then rose from the dead, and has countless numbers of people who recorded this truth to be evident as truth. And if Jesus were here, he would say, first and foremost, you got to believe, you got to know that God is spirit. God is spirit. In fact, Jesus is speaking to this woman at the well who I think we're going to get to heaven someday and we're going to meet this woman and we're going to be introduced to her by her real name. And we're like, who are you again? And she's like, I'm the woman at the well. I rename, I, I, I remain nameless. You know, we're like, sorry about that. And <laughs> My name's Jordan. It's great to meet you. But he's having this interaction with this woman, and he, and he says to the woman, he says, you know, I, I need you to understand something, that God, he is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, why is this so important? Because the Jewish people, they always believe that God is spirit, that he is immaterial, spaceless, timeless, that, 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 that he can't be bound by an idol. In fact, this flew in the face of all the pagan religions because they had, they had images for God. If the Jewish people know, no, you can't have any image for God. Why? Because he's spirit. You can't depict him with an image. And here's why this is so cool for us today because here us modern people, we already get this. We already understand this because we believe in singularity. We believe that there was a singular event that created all of time. Science, as science has said, there was Big Bang, whatever you want to call it, I don't even care. It doesn't matter. All that I know is that material... Material came from immaterial. And that immaterial is God. He's spirit. It doesn't conflict with science. As much as science might try to prove that it does, it doesn't. And there's beauty in that and there's significance in that because it's the only religion that actually believes that their God is spirit and cannot be, be depicted with, with, with images, cannot be depicted with, with idols. But God, he's, he's, this, he's this beautiful omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omniscient, which means all-knowing, uh, omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. He is sp he's spirit. And Jesus comes along, and he kind of simplifies this for, for the Jewish people. And then, he, and then furthermore, he says, oh, and by the way, God is also Father. 
God's Father. He begins to teach his disciples how to pray. And in Luke 11, verse 2, he says, When you pray, say and begin with, Father. So he's far away, but he's also up close and very personal. And this term, Father, it is, it is so poorly translated in our English language. We just don't have a better word for it. But the original, the original word in the Greek language for Father, it's the most endearing and intimate term that you could possibly have in relationship to, 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 to any single person. He's saying, no, God is he's spirit, but he's also, he's also Father. He's Dad. He's, he's up close and personal with you wants to be involved in your life as, as the most personal and intimate relationship. I love, what, I love how Louis Giglio describes, describes God. He, he says he's not a picture of, of an earthly father. He's the perfection of our heavenly father. And then lastly, lastly, he's spirit, he's father, and God is love. He's, he's love. And John the Apostle John, again, who is banished to the island of Patmos, he is the one who, who kind of simplifies and brings the character of God down into this one single word, that he's, he's love. John, who had seen more bloodshed than the rest of us combined. John, whose all of his friends had been martyred as a result of their faith, and yet John is somehow able to still say, God is love. If you look at all the evil and everything that's going on in the world, if you'd even look at the life of John and say, how could you be banished to an island just to kind of rot away as an old man and still deduce God to a single word as love? You have to almost ask, what did John experience and what did John see when he lived and walked with Jesus for three years that convinced him that God is love? And he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, that whoever lives in love lives in God in God in them, which is why the distinguishing characteristic, I'm closing right here, it's why the distinguishing characteristic of Jesus' followers is meant to be our love for one another. Because there's no higher calling, there's no greater adjective, there's no greater attribute that we could ascribe to ourselves that we could walk in and learn to grow in and learn to understand than how to love one another. And it, it, we, we, un, we understand this, though. I, I want us to get this right here. Just give me 60 seconds. I, I'm so sorry I'm going long today, but give me 60 seconds. My daughter recently, we were, we were riding a bike, and the sun was setting, and, and there was this big shadow that kind of cast upon her. And she's looking across the sidewalk and across the street, and she looks back at me, and she says, Dad, look at my shadow. I said, baby, it's huge. And she says, Dad, if there was enough sunlight, though, I wouldn't have any shadow, would I? I said, no. I began to think, you can have light but no shadow, but you can't have a shadow without light. Here's what I I began to realize. You can't have love without having evil. Here it is, here it is, here it is. This is such a big deal. This This is so big. Just as shadow requires light, evil requires good. Goodness must necessarily pre-exist evil, which means, this is so awesome, love must necessarily pre-exist unlove. You cannot have unlove first. And that begs the question, we're going to talk about this next week, but if God is love, then why is there so much evil in the world? Which I would venture to ask you the question, how do you even know that there's evil in the world? Where does that feeling come from? Where does that standard 
Where does that standard come from? Uh, even furthermore, how, how, do you, how is it that we know what we ought to do? We gotta understand the difference between right and wrong, and yet we still don't always do what we ought to do. Where does that feeling come from? And where, where, where do we get the idea that, well, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah, you're right, but how do we even know that nobody's perfect? Unless, unless perfect love preceded all of us. So therefore, it was the original foundation of all of creation. And it just, it just happens to be, church, the very thing that the entire world is looking for. Right? I mean, there's songs written about it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. I think a better lyric would be what the world needs now is a greater understanding of God, our great heavenly Father God. Like, we got to understand that if we can grow in our understanding of God's love for us, if we can allow that to be the foundation for everything that we learn and experience in regard to God, then we can actually make a difference on behalf of God as we expand His kingdom here in Columbus, Ohio. The thing that everybody needs, the thing that you're looking for, the thing that I'm looking for, the thing your neighbor's looking for is love. And we try to find in all sorts of different ways and we try to, we try to, we try to manufacture it in all sorts of different avenues. But what we're really looking for is God. It's just that we've been giving people a false version of who God really is. I think for so many of us, we haven't even been able to identify exactly who God really is. And as we begin to progress into next week and the final week, I want us to lean in, church, and continue to understand that God makes a massive difference, and he chooses to make that difference through you. But it's only when we begin to understand I can make a difference if I learn to love the way that God loves me. You think, Jordan, that sounds so simple. I know it does. But if it's so simple and you're already doing a great job of it, then don't come anymore. But I, I just happen to believe that if we could be a community, if we could be a church who loves all people in Jesus' name, we could change the whole world.